Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Amen. Okay. We are in Leviticus chapter 9, so let me jump on in. Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And God said to Aaron, take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without defect and offer them before the Lord. Then to the sons of Israel, you shall speak saying, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both one year old without defect for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today, the Lord shall appear to you. So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses then said to Aaron, come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people. Then make the offering for the people, that you make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came near to the altar and slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. And Aaron's sons presented the blood to him. And he dipped his finger in the blood and put some on the horns of the altar and poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. The fat and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver of the sin offering, he then offered up in smoke on the altar, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin, however, he burned with fire outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it on the altar. And they handed the burnt offering to him in pieces with the head. And he offered them up and smoke on the altar. He also washed the enthralls and the legs and offered them up and smoke with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he presented the people's offering and took the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and slaughtered it and offered it for sin like the first. He also presented the burnt offering and offered it according to the ordinance. Next, he presented the grain offering and filled his hand with the sum of it and offered it up and smoke on the altar, besides the burnt offering of the morning. Then he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it on the altar. As for the portions of fat from the ox and from the ram, and the fat tail, and the fat covering, and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver, they now placed the portions of fat on the breast and he offered them up and smoked on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh, Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord, just as Moses had commanded. 
Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people. He blessed them. He stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of Medan. When they came out and they blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. Okay, there we are. Leviticus chapter 9. So, uh, Leviticus 8, if you look one chapter back, uh, God consecrates Aaron and his sons as they seek to serve the people. Uh, And as I look at chapter 9, in a sense, that whole concept is carried over into chapter 9 of the priestly setting and what they're to do for themselves and what they're to do for the people. So all these sacrifices that you heard are made. uh, And after the sacrifices are made, it says uh, in verse 22, that Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and he blessed them. So sacrifices, he lifts up his hands and he blesses them. And most scholars believe that that blessing uh, that Aaron gave to the people is recorded in numbers. So you might want to, John, I'm going to give you a number of scriptures here that are outside of Leviticus 9. So if you have a pencil, you want to jot them down, you can look them up. But uh, in the Numbers chapter 6 and verse 24, uh, it says, this is the way Aaron blessed the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. Uh, The blessing is just to ask God's positive attitudes and goodness to be extended to the people. The Lord bless you. And he'd keep you, in a sense, in the palm of his hand, that he'd watch over you, protect you, and give you security. The Lord make his face shine on you. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, the face represented the person. Uh, and when I think he's saying, Lord, make his face shine on you, he's basically saying, I pray that you would experience the presence of God's face, the presence of who God is. Not just something in the brain, but you'd actually experience God. And then he says, and be gracious to you. We need a lot of grace. We have a lot of issues in life. And we can't pull it off on ourselves. We can't save ourselves by our own good deeds and merits. We can't even after we come to Christ. We can't grow in Christ just by our own sweat and grit and determination. We need the grace of God to be saved. We need the grace of God to grow in sanctification and holiness. We need the grace of God to be able to get through hard times where Paul discovered uh, with the thorn of the flesh that when he was weak, God's grace was strong in him. Grace is a very powerful word. Uh, I'm doing the book uh, of Romans uh, and we're studying it and we, we look at Paul's letters and most of the letters begin with the grace of God and they end with the grace of God. Grace is a familiar theme right through the Old and the New Testament. So he says, the Lord bless you and he keep you, may he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And that the Lord lift up his countenance on you. Again, that's another way as may his face shine upon you. May you experience God in a very personal way. And then he ends, and may he give you peace. Boy, the world is looking for peace. It is jumbled up. People are anxious. They're depressed. They're upset. 
They're like a chicken with its head cut off, running all over the place. I think the world is desperately looking for peace, and it's found one place, and that's in Jesus Christ. So this is a beautiful blessing. Uh, I don't know if you remember, we've actually sang that song uh, on Sunday mornings at time. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful song, uh, the song of God's blessing. So two things I see specifically here in the book of Leviticus chapter nine. Number one, and I got to get back here to Leviticus nine. Number one would be, get this. Uh, number one is this, is the order of the sacrifices. They go in a given order. And then the second thing, and I'll get to this down the road. The second thing is what's the end result of all these sacrifices? What's the end game for God? What's the end game for you and for me? But notice the order. Uh, look at Leviticus 9, 1 to 4. Now it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, okay, Aaron's the high priest. He's under Moses, but they're both under God. He said to Aaron, take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering. Okay, number one, for a sin offering. And a ram for a burnt offering. Number two, sacrifice burnt offering. Both without defect and offer them before the Lord. Now to the sons of Israel, you shall speak, saying, take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both one year old, without defect, for a burnt offering. We've looked at those. And an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord. And a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord shall appear to you. So basically, uh, they go in an order, and I, I did juggle one. Uh, in the sense you see, it usually, here it's listed sin, burnt offering. From there, uh, it goes into a, let's see, grain offering. No, I'm sorry, it goes actually to a peace offering and then to a grain offering. So look at the order. Number one, uh, talks about a sin offering. Okay, the whole purpose, we've seen that as you've been going through Leviticus the sin offering is people have sinned, and basically uh, the people come to the tent of meeting, they confess their sin, they lay their hands on the animal, transfer their guilt onto the animal, they kill the animal, uh, and they see how horrible sin is. It costs the life of an animal to get their sins, in a sense, removed. The burnt offering. Uh, after the sin offering, uh, is a symbol of, of dedication. Uh, when you burn an offering up, it's like a total uh, sacrifice, you might say. Uh, and the burnt offering represents our total sacrifice to the Lord, our dedication to him, to serve him with our whole life. Not just a little bit, not just a part, but 100% we give him the ability to be Lord and master of our lives. We do that because we want to, not because we have to. Uh, I don't want us to see God as, you know, he's up there and he has a whip and he's a slave driver. And he says, you, you do what I tell you to do or else a lightning bolt's going to come. I don't think we serve God out of fear. Uh, and I think many times the Jewish people uh, had a, a conception of God 
that they had to obey or else. Uh, I think if we really see the ultimate sin offering, which is Jesus on the cross, he's the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. When we truly get that, when we know that Jesus died on the cross for us, I mean, think about the love, someone actually dying in your place. I mean, just wrap your mind. My, I try to do that in my brain, and it just blows out that someone actually died to give me a new chance. When we really see that Jesus loved us that much, I think there's a gut instinct in us to, I don't want to just have to serve. I'm a love slave. I want to serve him because he first loved me in such a dramatic and symbolic and sacrificial and powerful way. So there's a sin offering, begins to clean the slate, uh, guilt is removed. The burnt offering is, okay, now that my sins are in a sense taken away, now I want to say, thank you, Lord. Here's a burnt offering. I thank you for what you've done. Then after that is a grain offering. And the grain offering pretty much represented that God would meet the needs of the people. Uh, grain would be their food, their basic meal. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Uh, it's pretty much saying, thank you, Lord, that you're meeting my basic needs on a daily basis. So it goes from my sin is removed, and, and then I give him my life because I see what he's done for me. And the grain offering is, thank you, Lord, for the many, many, many blessings that you poured down on me. And each of us on the screen are blessed in so many different kinds of ways. But what's very interesting, uh, that's not the end of the offerings. First the sin, then the burnt, then the grain, and the last is called the peace offering. And the peace offering represents peace with God. The barrier of sin has been removed. Uh, and when we have peace with God, it really talks about fellowship. The sin, the burnt, and the grain lead to the peace, meaning all this is God has brought us into a relationship with himself. It's amazing. He's the father. We're the children. We're his family. And if you ask the question, why did God create you? Why did God create me? He created you and me for fellowship. And that's symbolized by Adam and Eve walking in the garden in a sweet fellowship. He created you to receive his love and to pass it back to him and then to pass it on to other people. Amazing. So ultimately, Christ died, not just to wipe away our sins. Yeah, thank God he did that. He died to deal with guilt. Thank God he died to break the bondages that we're going to celebrate that and we have the freedom we can come up. Thank God that's why he died. But the end result is not just the forgiveness of sin, not just breaking our bondages. The end result is that we are reconnected with God so we can actually have a fellowship with him. A great verse. I love this verse. First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Hear carefully what the verse says. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The just, that's referring to him. For the unjust, that's you and me, okay? In order that. So why did Jesus die? Listen carefully. In order that he might bring us to God. The end result. That he might bring us to God. That's what God's after. He sent his son into the world to deal with sin, 
to pull the barrier of sin down so that we could have that fellowship that he always has wanted. But what's interesting to me is it's not just even fellowship. Fellowship is amazing. But, but this leads me to step two. The second thing I see is not just the order of sacrifices, but here's the end game. The end game is that we'd have fellowship with him, but the end game of that is that we could actually experience God. We would have an encounter with the living God. And I believe that's the deepest hunger in your heart and mine, not just to know God intellectually or mentally, not just to know God doctrinally. I mean, you can go to seminary. I went to seminary for three years, and I can get all the data and all the dogmen and all the doctrine, and I could fill my head till it overflows and tell you all that I could tell you about the Bible, and I could miss the whole point of having an encounter and experience with the living God. So what's God after? Here, Notice carefully what he says here. Leviticus 9, verse 4, at the end of the sacrifices, Moses says this, for today, the Lord will appear to you. Okay, this is like this is a live encounter with God. All these sacrifices, and then Moses says, and God says through Moses, for today, the Lord will appear to you. Uh, Notice uh, verse six. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do. Why? That the glory of the Lord may appear to you. This is the end game, folks. It was the end game for Israel. It's the end game for you and I. That the Lord and his glory may appear to you. And then if you see very carefully at verse 23, after all the sacrifices are done, after Aaron lifts up his hands and blesses the people, look at the end result. Verse 23. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out and blessed the people, here it is, the end game. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord. It consumed the burnt offering and the portions of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. The glory of the Lord is his magnificent, powerful presence. And when we encounter the glory of the Lord, many times we will be where they are. They fell on their faces. I'm sure we've all been in worship services where you kind of sense in a very special way the presence of God is here. That's really cool. But what we're talking about here is a a jacked up, multiplied sense of the presence of God. It's not just I feel, okay, there's a presence here. It's so intense when the presence of God shows up that in this case, the people are literally on their faces. Uh, And we'll look at that a little bit later. Boy, when God shows up, folks, there's no doubt about it. You're not going to be scratching your head saying, well, did he come or didn't he? You'll know that he came. So what I want to do is give you a little journey through the Bible and hopefully whet your appetite and my own Uh, for wanting to have an encounter with the living God, because that's why you were created. 
And if you look at the Bible carefully, you'll see people had encounters with God. Adam and Eve obviously had the encounter with God. They walked with him in the cool of the day. I mean, they, they were not just doing something mentally. I mean, they were in literally close fellowship with God before the fall. That's where he wants to bring you and I, back to the garden before the fall, back to where his presence is very real and made known to us. Adam and Eve had that. Noah, God came to Noah. God showed up to Noah. Probably blew his socks off when God said, hey, you better build a boat because I'm going to wipe the place out. He had an encounter with God. We know as you read further in Genesis, Abraham, the father of the faith, had an encounter with God. God literally called him from Ur of the Chaldees. It wasn't some kind of thing in his brain. He had an encounter and God said, here I am. And basically, this is what I want you to do. Moses we know, has an encounter with God. He's up on a mountain 40 days and 40 nights in the presence of God to such a degree that after 40 days and 40 nights, his face literally shines when he comes off the mountain. He had such an encounter, it rubbed off on him and literally changed his appearance. They dedicate the tabernacle that we're talking about at Exodus and Leviticus. So they dedicate the temple. I mean, I'm sorry, I get to the temple in a minute. They dedicate the tent of meeting. And in Exodus 40 and verse 34 and 35, this is what happens. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In other words, God's presence was so heavy within the tent of meeting that Moses couldn't even go in there. It's like, it would be almost like a spiritual shock that he would have blown away. It's like, stay away. It's so heavy and so powerful. Not only <clears throat> is there an encounter with the presence of God when the tent of meeting is dedicated, when the temple that David <clears throat> basically couldn't do, but his son Solomon built, when they dedicated that temple, something very special happened. In First Kings chapter 8 and verse 10, it says this. And it came about when the priests came from the holy place, they had brought into the temple the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's presence. When they had brought that in, but they came out of the temple, it says, then the cloud filled the house of the Lord. Same cloud, by the way that filled the tent of meeting, that traveled with the people of Israel. It says the cloud filled the house of the Lord. So the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. <coughs> the priests could not stand. In other words, they're literally face down because literally their, their knees are so weak in the presence of God, they cannot stand. The power is so overwhelming. They are literally face down because they are encountering part of God. And by the way, they only get part of them. God basically said to Moses, if you saw me in my full being, you would be fried. So even that God has to tone down to a level, his glory. <coughs> There's another fellow in the Old Testament that has an encounter with God. This is Isaiah the prophet. I want to give you some illustrations when God shows up. Listen to this one. 
Isaiah 6. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, those are angels, stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his faith, with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. One called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple, here it is again, the temple was filling with smoke. Here's Isaiah's response. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined. If you look at the Hebrew group, it means I am literally falling apart. I am disintegrating. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Again, an amazing encounter with the living God. But it's not just for the Old Testament. If you go into the New, and if you look at Matthew, uh, no, let's see, I'm sorry, not Matthew, jumping the gun here. If you look at Luke, Luke chapter 2, uh, this is some shepherds, okay? They're just doing their normal deal, watching some sheep at night, a normal day. Jesus has been born, but catch this, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. Here it is. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And what is their response? When God's glory comes, you just don't stick your hand out. Say, oh, oh, I'm so glad to see you. Here's their response. And they were terrified and they were frightened by the presence of God. And an angel said to them, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which shall be for all the people. And verse 13, and suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So talk about encounters. The shepherds had them. some other people that had encounters. Peter, James, and John. If you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus is getting ready to be crucified for the sins of the world. But beforehand, he takes the three closest disciples. John and James and Peter. And on Matthew chapter 17, he brings them to the top of a mountain. 17.1, listen to this. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, brought them up to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light. Well, again, the disciples are blown away. Uh, we read a little later, and when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were much afraid. Again, they encounter the presence and the glory of God. Let me give you two more. Uh, in the book of Acts, Saul is going around and he's trying to kill Christians. He hates them. He thinks they're distorting the Jewish faith. He's doing everything he can to throw them in prison. Probably not only to throw them in prison, but probably to kill some of them. And he's heading to Damascus to pull this off, to lock him up, bring him back to Jerusalem, and get him tried. Well, God had other plans. Look at verse uh, 1 on chapter 9 of Acts. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples, the Lord went to the high priest. He asked for letters for him to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, 
He was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground. There again, when the presence of God comes, most of the time you're knocked off your feet. You're prone. You're prostrate. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the Lord said, who? And he said, I'm sorry, who art thou, Lord? And Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So he had, again, an encounter with God. Last encounter is in the book of Revelation. John, the disciple, encountered Jesus in many unique ways in the three years Jesus was discipling him and others. We're told that he leaned on Jesus' breast. I mean, he was, he was intimate with Jesus. But boy, did he get an encounter that literally blocked and blew his socks right off uh, in the book of Revelation. He saw Jesus in a way he never saw him when Jesus walked the earth. Uh, in Revelation 1, verse 12, it says this. John saying, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstand, one like a son of man, that's Jesus, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across with his breath with a golden girdle. And his head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, one has been caused to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And it goes on. As he sees this, uh, he says, his face was like the sun shining in its strength. And what's the response of John? When I saw him, I fell at his feet. As a dead man. Wow. There's encounters with God. And when you get an encounter with God, you are a changed man and you are a changed woman. In fact, from what I can see, when you have an encounter with God, it activates something in you that makes you tremendously hungry and thirsty and passionate to know God even more intimately and more closely. Paul gets that encounter with God on the Damascus Road. I mean, talk about an encounter. It was literally face-to-face -face encounter. He's knocked off his feet. And here's Paul in the book of Philippians. After the encounter, I don't know how many years came by. I'm sure a number of years. But here, what Paul says, this is the Amplified Bible. Philippians 3.10. Paul says this, for my determined purpose is, and you might ask yourself, what is your determined purpose? What is the driving force in you? What is your greatest hunger? What is your greatest thirst? Listen to Paul. For my determined purpose is that I may know him, Christ, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. That's it. That is it. That's what Paul said. I want to see more. And the more he sees, he says, I've got to see more. It's the only good addiction in the universe. It's an addiction to the presence of God. And I really think the deepest cry in the human heart, and if you can peel away all the layers in our lives, all the other things that go 
jumping through our minds and other desires. We like this, 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 whatever. But if you could get to the core and you could hear the Holy Spirit, I think the deepest cry is the one that Moses gives us in Exodus 33, 18. And here's the prayer. I pray thee, Lord, show me thy glory. That was Moses. He's on the mountain 40 days. 40 nights in the presence of God. And that prayer is, God, I got to see you more. I see you, but Lord, pull all the blinders. Pull them all. I want a direct encounter with you. And God basically said, I'll let you see my hind parts. I mean, in other words, I'll let you see some of me. But God said in this human body, there's no way you could handle it, Moses, because you would literally disintegrate if you encountered me face to face. That's the cry. I believe it's in there in you. I believe it's in there in me. If we're careful and quiet enough to listen for it, it's not just even serving God. It's wanting to know him. There's an amazing prophecy. It's in the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let me read it again. For the earth will be filled, the earth, okay, all of the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here's what gets exciting to me. There are many biblical teachers that believe before Jesus comes back the second time, there is going to be literally a worldwide revival. We have never seen that before in church history. We've seen revival hit certain areas, an area of the United States, an area over in England, an area maybe in Africa, an area in South America. But nowhere have we ever seen where God pours a revival out on every continent on the face of the earth. And many biblical scholars believe that before the end of time, before Jesus comes Back, the glory of God will cover the earth. It's almost we've seen COVID. It's covered the earth. It's affected the entire earth. COVID has in a negative. This is talking about the reverse, where God's presence will be so manifest that it will be undeniable around the entire globe that Jesus is alive and well and he is changing lives. And many scholars feel when that happens, and there's such a revival in the church, and the presence of God is so strong, that that's when the Antichrist is going to come, because he's going to be so inflamed against the church, that he's going to persecute the church and try to wipe the church out. And then Christ comes the second time. But I feel that totally, that I believe before the end of time, and I think many scholars feel we're right on the cusp of that, we're getting very, very close to that time where God will pour his spirit out on every part of this planet. And because of that, I believe some of us in the area here have got that hunger. We want to see that in our area right here, Egg Harbor Township, Summers Point, Atlantic City, all over our area. We want to see revival. What's revival? It's when the presence of God, I've given you some illustrations, when God's presence shows up, man, Life is not normal. And when his presence shows up, the church gets ignited. And when the church gets ignited, that touches the world and people come to Christ. 
So I, there is a group of people, and it's exciting to me. We've been having prayer meetings once a month in our area. So far, we've had 10 different months, 10 different churches that have hosted a prayer night where we come and we basically say, God, we seek your face. We seek your spirit to be poured out. We seek revival. We seek your presence to transform the churches and to shake the neighborhoods. And we just had one of those at Sojourn Church up in Galloway this last Sunday. Uh, if you'd like more info on that, there's a neat website. It's called reviveusagain.org. Not hard to remember. The old hymn, Revive Us Again, reviveusagain.org. Uh, there'll be one of these coming up in November. And then in December, uh, there's going to be a gathering of the churches in the Ocean City Tabernacle, which is going to be really cool, where we're going to come and say, God, touch our area, pour your spirit out, let the revival come. Friends, when revival happens, I just want to end with this real quick. Things happen in Kentucky at Asbury College. The presence of God came. There was a service where they were having a typical chapel service that was supposed to last about an hour. At one point, there was a speaker. And then somebody came up and they testified about what they had been doing while they confessed their sins publicly before the group. And it was like wildfire. Other people came to the altar and they said, well, we got to get right with God. And they confessed their sin. And it went on. A one-hour service literally lasted for a week. The chapel stayed open 24-7. And I've talked to some people that said, when you walked into that chapel, you felt you were walking into another dimension. There was a revival in England. The power of God fell on that area so strong that we're told when ships literally were coming in to harbor before they hit the mainland where the presence of God was, out before they hit the mainland, on the boat, people were convicting of, they were convicted of sin and they were crying out to be saved literally without a preacher. The presence of God jumped from the mainland, hit the boat, and people knew that and their lives were changed. There was one other one, Charles Finney. I could give you a number of these in the 1800s. Great revivalist. He went around all over the place. He was preaching. Uh, he just would go to these meetings and, and proclaim the gospel. Many came to Christ. But one time he came into a factory. And it was ladies that were basically some kind of a, uh, a mill. Ladies were at work with some kind of a knitting thing, whatever. He walks into the mill and literally just stands there with the presence of God on him. And you hear these, these little machines, they begin to get shut down and shut down and shut down. And there's total quiet. And people begin to call out to God in tears and shouting, basically calling out to God just because a man walks into the room with the presence of God on him. So Leviticus 9 could be a very dull chapter. It starts with sin offerings, burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, fellowship with God, but it ends with the glory of God coming on the people. That is your heritage. That is my heritage. And I hope, and it's my prayer, that as we've looked at this, 
that the Spirit has stirred a hunger in you, not just to deal with an intellectual understanding of your faith. Not just to say, well, I'm hoping, you know, I checked off three chapters. Do, 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 do. Look at this. I've read three chapters today. Isn't that nice? Don't settle for just an intellectual understanding of your faith. Listen to your heart. Listen to the cry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, show me your glory. And that would be the prayer I'd have for you and for me, that God would birth that in us and we would cry out. I can't wait for the day in a worship service. Where the presence of God falls in such a heavy way that Pastor Brennan can't even preach a message. And we'll just be there, bent over on the presence of God on the floor because he showed up. May he do that in our church, our area, our nation that needs it. So, <laughs> nation that needs it so badly. In our world. Let's pray. Father, I just pray, Lord, that you would not let us just settle for some kind of a distant relationship with you, Lord. Or settle, Lord, just for some more doctrine, more understanding, Lord, but that you would stir up, Lord, a hunger in us, a, a thirsting, a passion to know you to know you because we know lord that's what adam and eve had and we know lord that's what heaven's going to be about it's going to be knowing you father son and holy spirit in an experience that's going to blow our minds out and we will be in a realm of peace and joy and love that we can't even begin to fully comprehend here so father i pray that for each of us we pray lord for that day where your glory is going to cover the earth we pray for a revival god Infusion Church, that your presence would hit us, that you would hit the churches in this area, that you would shake New Jersey, Lord, that you would bring the United States to its knees. Lord, that your glory would jump from America and jump to the four corners of the earth and that you would come back, Lord. So, Lord, use each of us. Use our prayers, use our lives, Lord, to fuel that revival. And, Father, we thank you. And we ask it, Lord, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. God bless you all.